0: To episode twenty-three of I from Home, we are, of course, as always, live from the couch in my room, and today we have a special guest who is Chris Manente, who is the executive director of the Rutgers Center for Adult Autism Services. Uh, hey, Chris, thanks for thanks for coming on the show.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Good to be here.
0: Yeah. So, so I I had met you last week at the actual uh, center that's that's being built, but for everyone listening that isn't, isn't familiar with you or with what the center does, can you kind of give us a little bit about, about your background working in autism services and how you got to, to this point now?
1: Absolutely. And I'll, I'll, I'll try and give you kind of the, the cliff notes version because it's, it's been a, a long journey with lots of twists and turns for sure. Um, but so I, I think it, it might make sense too, um, to start with you know just kind of describing the landscape um, in our society, you know, for people with disabilities and people with autism in particular. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if, if uh, you guys or, or um, your listenership has ever heard of, uh, there's a very famous saying and kind of like a little uh, political cartoon that goes with it, that if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its life thinking that it's stupid. Right? And this is like a really historic cartoon. If you Google it, it comes right up. Um, it like gives a representation of the animal school where it shows like the diversity amongst all of the students in the class right you have the monkey the fish the eagle right everyone is in this this classroom um and you know you have the the teacher who's the one who like sets the expectations for what people have to be able to do in the class in order to be judged a successful student right and and again you know those expectations are, are usually tailored to whoever the majority is or whoever, you know, again, is, is represented the most in the classroom. So again, if, 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 you know, if you're the fish in the class and the test for the day is to climb a tree, right, you're, you're gonna be at a bit of a disadvantage, right, in, in that test. Um, and so I, I think, you know, my, my first experience um, on my path towards being an advocate for people with disabilities and, and people with autism in particular, was as a special education student, um, you know, where I was put in classrooms in public school day after day, um, where I felt like a fish being asked to climb a tree, right? Where, you know, I, I was very capable um, at, at, at being successful in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I was, I was, you know, really talented in a lot of academic domains even. Um, but because I I was a- unable to sit perfectly still, Um, in a group of 30 other students, and be a passive learner, and just listen to what the teacher was telling me, um, you know, and and not be moving around. Like, frankly, I was bouncing off the walls, right? Anyone who knows me today even knows that I'm an intense guy. Like, that's how my friends describe me, right? Like, I'm, um, and, and that's all a part of my identity and who I am. Can't change that. I'm a fish, right? So, so I think, um you know that's really where my journey began is is as someone who you know, lived in society, knowing that the society and the structure, both, you know, the educational structure, the employment structure, the social structure um, was kind of built for um, one type of person, um, or one category of people, and often feeling like I didn't fit into that, Um, you know, that that ultimately, I think, inspired me to want to help other people who had a ton of value to give, um, but were you know, being commonly sold short on their ability to contribute that value in a lot of ways. Um, so, you know, long story short, school was, you know, kind of like a prison sentence for me. Um, you know, I, I, I couldn't get done with that fast enough and i actually uh instead of going towards more school even though i was academically gifted in a lot of ways i i joined active duty right and so i enlisted um as uh as a private in the infantry united states army at 17 years old um and and was like you know i had all this energy really intense guy figured maybe that's an avenue I could take to to really add a ton of value. And it was awesome because in in my experiences of rising through the ranks pretty quickly in the military and ultimately becoming a sergeant who was in charge of training new privates coming in, I once again kind of found myself in a position to help um, people learn who historically... Had, had a lot of challenges in acquiring, you know, new skills and information, retaining that information and then applying it like this process we call learning. Because um, a, a lot of the privates that I had coming in that I was expected to train, lo and behold, were prior special education students. So it turns out um, that actually a lot of you know individuals for whom college is not an option who might come from low SES backgrounds or who might be, you know, um, special education, prior special education students end up going into the military um, and in particular the infantry into combat arms. And you know, it was, it was my experiences in the military as a leader. Um, that really inspired me and, and kind of showed me that not, not only can I be successful as a person um, who was categorized as having disabilities, but I could actually be successful as a teacher, um, you know, someone that could help other people who historically had difficulty learning and succeeding um, in society the way that, that it's currently structured. Um, so when I, when I came off active duty, uh, I, I knew that I wanted to be a teacher of, of people um, who had difficulty succeeding, again, because of their um, difficulties learning or any other deficits that they might have, but really didn't know what direction I was going to go in. I was, you know, initially thought that I was going to be a special education teacher in public schools. And uh, so as an undergraduate psychology student at Rutgers, um, actually, as, as luck would have it, I just kind came of apro- came across a course called Fieldwork in Autism, where I had the opportunity to work as an undergraduate student at the Douglas Developmental Disability Center, um, which the DDDC is just you know one of the most historic, well-known schools for children with autism that exists in the world. Um, you know, The DDDC was founded by Dr. Sandra Harris back in 1972 at Rutgers, three years prior to the initial passage of what we now know as IDEA or the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. So, you know, long story short, Rutgers has been an enormous innovator and leader in the space of educating people with autism, you know, for for decades. Um, and I just had the, the amazing fortune to stumble into this opportunity um, where I got, you know, one of the richest and, you know, um, best educations as an early career practitioner into what it would mean to help people with autism succeed in, in various contexts of their life. And, you know, from there, I just, kind of really got bit by the need um, to know more about autism to know more about the experiences of people with autism um, and how best to help them succeed because again um, you know autism and disability in general I think there's this huge misconception that people with disabilities are people with autism in particular are broken, right? That these are a problem people that needs to be fixed or cured. Um, and it's really the farthest thing from the truth. You know, the real problem is that our society is in a, range in a in a way to allow this group of people to succeed. And, you know, I was just inspired by the challenges that people on the spectrum um, were expected to face on a regular basis and just became really passionate really fast about how, uh, how I could best help as many people with autism, uh, Um, As I could. So, you know, from there, I just took every job I could in autism, working in homes, you know, working in after school programs, working in schools, working with people with really significant challenges or, you know, people who just needed a little bit of help um, until I finished my master's degree at Rutgers. Um, in education, and I was a, got my um, teacher certification in special ed and elementary ed. Um, shortly after that, I was actually hired to run the adult program at the Douglas Developmental Disability Center. You know, the, which is called the Douglas Adult Program. So I did that from 2008 uh, to 2014. I was finishing up my PhD at, at Rutgers. Also, so I'm a three-time alum. You know, I bleed scarlet. This is home for me for sure. Um, and uh, you know, I I the the, the job. At the Rocker Center for Adult Autism Services came up um, a couple of years later in in 2016. So I, I promise that's like the short version. <laughs> There's way more kind of twists and turns in there, but I, I think I'll uh, I'll leave it there for now.
0: That's uh that's fantastic, and you know it, you you said it yourself, and and it's very evident that you've got a lot of energy, and you're you're clearly super passionate. So it's it's great to see people like you with with all this energy putting it towards. Uh, helping those who, who otherwise uh, don't get the same resources. And uh, as you mentioned, you know, Rutgers being a, a forerunner in the advancement for people with disabilities. Um, can you talk to us a little bit more about the uh, new Center for Adult Autism uh, Center that's being built now?
1: Absolutely. So um, as I said earlier, like people with autism, just in general, whether we're talking about kids or adults or anyone in between, um, just don't really get the opportunities to succeed, um, in our society, the way that, that most people do. Um, but so adults, um, and that's individuals with autism, age 21 and older in particular, um, are really at a disadvantage. Um, because, you know, I, I mentioned IEA earlier, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, um, you know, that, that was a, a landmark piece of federal legislation passed originally back in 1975 that made, um, that made it so that um, public schools had an obligation to serve people with disabilities, regardless of the nature or severity of their disability. And if your local public school um, didn't have the resources to serve you because of the nature or severity of your disability, they had to pay for you to get a private education that would be appropriate. Um, So that has been obviously life-changing and just Um, Incredible for all people with disabilities, people with autism in particular, but one of um, the the kind of caveats of IDA is that um, the the funding and resources that individuals are provided through that piece of federal legislation um, runs out at age 21, right? So, um, you know, while the expansion of educational opportunities has been um, incredible for a large number of individuals with various disability classifications. Um, You know, people with autism in particular um, really haven't seen the same good outcomes in terms of quality of life in adulthood. Um, Actually, there's, you know, incredible literature emerging now um, that documents that adults with autism um, have worse quality of life compared to just about any other group of humans. Um, even including people from other disability categories, and you know, when we're talking about indicators of quality of life, we're talking about employment, we're talking about social engagement. Um, Financial independence, um, independence in your own residence, ability to care for yourself, mental and physical health, and life expectancy. Like we have new data that, that demonstrates that people with autism are much more likely to die earlier um, than just about any other you know, type of human. Again, that's not resulting from autism, right? Autism itself is not killing people. Um, it's you know all of the lack of opportunities and resources. Um, that are kind of embedded in an institutional way in our society, and our culture, that result in people with autism um, kind of having these poor outcomes. So, you know, historically, um, people really haven't given a whole lot of thought to what happens to cute little kids with autism after they grow up. Um, and you know, the short answer is um, not a whole lot of good things happen to those kids, right? And so, our center um kind of the 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 impetus for our center is to stand up and say that's not okay anymore right that our center stands up you know for you know people with autism who aren't able to advocate for themselves and we also stand to amplify the voices of people with autism um, who can speak for themselves Um, because again for a long time it just seems like nobody's uh, been listening and, and nobody cares so Um, you know, our, our center exists to support, you know, there's a lot of things that make us unique. Um, you know, one of the things is that we exist to support all people with autism because autism of course is extraordinarily complex in, in terms of understanding like what it means to be autistic, right? For some human beings, um, being autistic means, you know, that you have, um, very little vocal speech, right? That you can't communicate. Um, through uh, vocal means, or that you know, you um, a lot of people with autism have comorbid intellectual disabilities, and they might have like you know what was previously considered uh, mental retardation, which of course is now an ex- not an acceptable term and considered you know a really derogatory way of referring to people. But again, so there are a lot of folks who need help. You know, even buttoning their shirt or combing their hair or brushing their teeth, right? Um, and, and you know, some of those folks might even also have, you know, really severe challenging behavior, which means um, they might uh, engage in self-injury, like biting or hitting or hitting their head on things or, or being aggressive. And a lot of times those behaviors result from an inability to, to communicate to others what your wants and needs are, right? In contrast with, you know, the other radical end of the spectrum, you know, where you have, you know, humans who have a diagnose, diagnosis of autism, who have 160 IQs, and are matriculated Rucker students who are blowing the curve in their engineering classes, and who drive and have friends, and right, so I think that's, you know, part of the thing, part of the reason we exist is, is to really shine a spotlight on a lot of the misconceptions that still commonly exist in the world about people with autism. Frankly, that you know, people with autism are a whole category of people separate from the rest of us normal people, right? Like people with autism are me, they're you, they're, they're people, right? And so we all exist on like a continuum, a human spectrum, right? And so just trying to like blow away the us and them, like segretist kind of mentality, um, and, and really get to a place where we all understand that we're all more alike than we are different. And any one particular quality of someone's identity like having autism um, shouldn't be used to define them as a whole and uh, yeah so you know and the way that our center does this work specifically um, is is really diverse because you know we have we have programs that are specifically for um, matriculated rutgers college students like the rcis college support program and then we also have um, programs that are lifetime programs to support adults with autism whoever they are, you know, whether they need a lot of support or a little bit of support, um, you know, through all aspects of su- successful adulting, right, and that's our scale program SCALE, which supports for supporting community access through leisure and employment. Uh, we also have our psychological services clinic right, which does adult diagnostic evaluations, which is another thing that has been largely absent in the world, right? If you're an adult who doesn't, who has never been diagnosed as having autism, um, but you you display a lot of characteristics of autism, right? Um, there historically there hasn't been a place for you to go um, to get that kind of evaluation, and in our psychological services clinic, that's exactly you know where our folks specialize. In addition to providing um, like therapeutic services for anxiety, depression, right? Because that's another area where historically um, you know people have been really quick to kind of dismiss. People with autism as being viable candidates for that kind of treatment because if you're someone with autism, right, surely you must have an inability to communicate. So, like any form of talk therapy wouldn't be appropriate for you. Well, turns out not so not so much, right? Not true. Um, that people with autism can benefit, you know, from a lot of these these types of therapies that that other people also benefit from. Um, so, yeah, again. I you know, there's so much to unpack here, you know, because I'm so you know, so proud of all the amazing work that that we do at the RCIS. Um, but I think that's that's probably like the the highest level view of, of what we stand for that I could give. So I
0: <clears throat> I think it's fantastic. Them I, I you know love hearing you got the the mission that you guys have. I'm wondering where you see the opportunities in the future, like where, where when 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 we institute some sort of change is that, I'm imagining it's both on a societal level, but also on an individual basis, like working with people with autism and giving them specific opportunities. How does that usually play out in terms of both of those elements?
1: Awesome, yeah, that's a great question. So the way that I um, try to um, convey what we do on an individual level um, to folks that are in the field, um, is usually by um, like using other accommodations, commonly um, recognizable accommodations for um, accessibility as an example. So, you know, there's this other piece of great federal legislation called ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, and that's the piece of federal federal legislation that mandates that all of our communities be accessible to people with disabilities, right? And um, so while that piece of leg- legislation isn't specific to any one type of disability or disability category, the way that it's played out has really been um, specific to people with physical impairments and impairments of mobility. Like ADA is what you know mandates things like curb cuts or wheelchair lifts or like handicap accessible bathrooms, right? Um, and and so I think on an individual level, so so for people with physical um, mobility limitations. Um, there are universally effective accommodations that can be implemented for accessibility, right? Like if you use a wheelchair, your primary mode of trans- uh, you know, um, transportation, like a curb cut will work for you and most other people who use wheelchairs. It's like a universally effective accommodation. So in the work that we do, we also um, implement accommodations for the adults with autism that we support, but there's no universally available one. There's nothing that works for every person with autism. Again, you know, tying back to what I said about the enormous diversity of people on the spectrum, right? Everyone's different. Everyone has, like, people are different. So then people with autism are different. So essentially what we do is we take a a literally and truly individualized approach to getting to know um, our clients, program participants, patients, inside and out, understand their deficits and their abilities. And we custom make accommodations We custom make those um, curb cuts, um, essentially, to to fit that person, to help them access their community, whatever that means for for who that individual is. So that's what we do at the individual level. And essentially what we hope to accomplish by doing that is show the world, show society, that all people with autism can succeed if only given the opportunity and the resources that they need to do so. And you know, Rutgers, um, you know, was selected for our center because of the nature of the supportive community that our university um, uh, represents. Right? When you go out on Rutgers campus, you feel a part of something. Right? You see these students walking past, whether you're faculty or staff or a student. Like, there's a certain understanding that you're all a part of the Rutgers family. Right? So, a big part of our program was to embed ourselves in that community, not. You know have a center where we hang out most of the day and we go out and we take little trips out into the community kind of as a tourist right but to, for us to exist as members of and actors in um, you know the largest larger, larger ruckers community so what we do when we're creating these customized curb cuts for these individuals and we're showing that they can succeed in employment across campus in leisure across campus building new social relationships We're basically giving an educate, we're not only helping that individual, but we're educating everyone they come into contact with on campus that people with autism have value, people with autism can succeed, and people with autism should be given the chance, right? Um, And so I think ultimately the other important thing that that our approach kind of represents is we represent a, a proactive approach to helping people like reach their max potential no matter who they are or, or what they identify as. Um, so basically when, when someone comes to our program, we give them the, the best resources possible. We give them exactly what they need based on the evaluations that we've done. We match them up with the opportunities that you know, we've identified as being you know, a great match for them. Um, and then we're able to fade ourselves out as, as fast as possible to help that person be more independent. Whereas the more traditional approach is um, you know, just provide the bare minimum for survival, not you know, for you know, great success or, or reaching your potential, and then only provide excellent resources if there's a crisis, right? So waiting for things to go wrong and then providing a bunch of resources to that person. So like this can be kind of contrasted as a proactive approach, which is what we're taking, right? So we give someone what they need to succeed and then we're gradually able to fade out versus a reactive approach where, you know, it's almost like a wait to fail approach, um, you know, where you, 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 so, and what I'm talking about really is like, you know, the philosophy underlying um, like society's approach to funding these kinds of services, whereas where we really hope to have the largest impact, where, you know, society as a whole can move from um, a common misconception of people with disabilities and people with autism in particular, of being consumers of resources and like, you know, just someone, you know, where, we're, where it's charity. We're giving money to these poor people with autism, right? Out of, out of charity and they're just consuming resources without actually contributing a bunch back to society. So moving from that to, hey, if we give these, these people, these citizens, the resources and opportunities they need to succeed, um, then actually they could ultimately contribute enormous value to our society. And over time, we can gradually lessen um, the supports that we'll need. Um, So again, also very high level um, kind of overview of what we intend to accomplish on that larger scale beyond um, us just helping individuals with autism and their family directly every day, which is certainly important to our mission as well. Um, and even beyond like the full philosophical shifts i just talked about, you know, we really have shared a shared other than just supporting adults with autism and their families directly. Um, we have like pretty much an equal um, commitment also to training university students who want to work in this space, who might not even know that, you know, having a career supporting adults with autism is even a thing that they could pursue, right? Because historically, like a lot of early career practitioners end up going the path that I took where, you know, they go towards a degree in, you know, special education, working with kids in schools, because up until this point, there hasn't been centers like ours that stand up and want to professionalize the field of adult autism services, right? So changing the the conceptual and philosophical ways of looking at how best to serve this population, training the future generations of practitioners who want to specialize in this space. And then we also have amazing researchers um, like quantifying all of this work that we're doing and disseminating it out to the world so that hopefully other colleges and universities will try to replicate what we've done. Because again, this is not a, a space where there's any lack of demand. Um, the lack of opportunities and resources for adults with autism nationwide and worldwide represents an absolute crisis um, for these people and their families. So we we really need other you know great strategic partners to step up and help us do this work. Thanks,
0: um going back to the uh actual center real quick when when uh when I was there last week and and me and you were touring around it you said it was the it was the biggest 10,000 square uh feet uh building that you've ever seen and I kind of think that's true because it felt like every single time we turned a corner there'd be like a restaurant sized kitchen and then we would turn another corner and there'd be like an open hallway with four other doors and it kept like feeling like like even though you know it's not the biggest building in the world it felt like the space was really utilized well and the 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 project manager there uh jones said that you were pretty instrumental in the in the design of of that space so i don't know if, if you've had experience like doing design like that before but what was that experience like having such a, a, a important stance in the design of the building?
1: Yeah, no, that's an incredible question. And no, I've, I've never had the opportunity um, to, to design anything on that scale. Um, you know, again, going back to kind of my profile as a human, um, I don't sit still well. I'm interested in all things around me. I'm someone who's taken blacksmithing classes on the weekend and, you know, someone who has done, you know, pottery or, or just taken an interest in beekeeping. Right. Um, so like I, I approach the design of that building, like I approach all other things um, where I, 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 kind of get consumed by it. Right. And need to know everything about the process. And, you know, certainly I think um, you know, that the outcome is really attributed to the amazing team that we had to work with. Um, you know, we, we had um, KSS, our, architects who are based in Princeton and Philadelphia, um, as well as our incredible team um, from IP&O, um, driven by Joan Sittler, who you mentioned, um, who I think Whose, whose jobs a lot of time was probably to wrangle me in, right, because, you know, I, I do, um, you know, tend to have a lot of ideas about the direction that things can go in, um, and also being a very practical and functional guy, right, the infantry sergeant that needs to accomplish the mission, you know, my, my task to the team was to to, use, to to waste not an inch of the space, um, because again, I, I um, just feel this enormous weight and pressure um, to do everything within our power to help this population. Of people with autism. So I needed our investment in this building um, to represent that and to make sure that, you know, every inch of that space is set up to do something in service of our mission. Um, and again, you know, our mission is so um, enormous in terms of both you know scope and scale um, we serve so many different types of people in, in already you know we have three subunits that are currently uh, up and running and we'll have a fourth one you know up and running soon um, it was just crucial that you know we, we make sure that we had room to grow and that we were doing our best to design a space not for adults with autism right because I think that's also where, you know, projects kind of kind of can go wrong sometimes is it's almost like, um, you know, of course you should consider the, 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 the population and mission and the folks you're designing for, but you also don't want, because um, you have to remember that people with autism are people, right? So you, you don't want to design a building that's essentially um, like arranged as like some kind of special habitat for this, you know, majestic, you know, um, you know, type of person called the autistic person, right? No, like we're, again, it's, it's, the building was designed to be universally appealing. It's not, it wasn't designed just for people with autism, it was designed for the Rutgers community. Um, We very much, Want to follow a reverse inclusion model where walking down the street, someone sees the building and they're struck by how beautiful it is and how interesting it is, and want to come and knock on our front door to know what's going on in there because you know you never know how many of those people will be just like me, um, where I landed on the doorstep of the DDDC as a field worker so many years ago and was just you know drawn to to take up this cause and be be passionate about this, um, but yeah, so I think. The other thing is, being that, you know, I'm a three-time alum at Rutgers, I've, hold, I've held a multiple you know, multiple roles here over the years, I also know that space doesn't come easily here, right? So, um, you know, I just, I, I thought that this is, I think we'll definitely be constructing more buildings in the future, um, but this is our first, it's our hub, it's our community center. Um, we really needed to make sure that we got it as right as possible um, and, and, you know, didn't, didn't put speed over excellence.
0: That's yeah. great. Really, really awesome. Well, uh, Chris, thanks for coming on. I think that you gave us a lot of good info and for everyone at home, because I think it's a topic that maybe if you're not directly involved in that, uh, it kind of gets brushed under the rug or you don't hear about it a lot. So I think that you're doing really good and important work. And I think uh, you did a really good job of, of explaining it to everyone. Um, so thanks for coming on. And uh, if there's any last word that you'd like to say, feel free.
1: Awesome. Yeah, it was truly my pleasure, guys. Thank you um, for be will- being willing to support our mission and also to amplify our voices, which is, you know, so crucial to the work we do. Um, and just, you know, a message to the entire Rutgers community, uh, no matter what your role is, whether you're staff, faculty, student, or otherwise, um, you know, please get involved, right? So we need people to care about this. Um, and, you know, involvement can can span from, you know, just recognizing that it's us, us, us out and about, giving us a smile, a wave, um, and, a, and a thumbs up to, hey, if you're interested in exploring more of a career opportunity in supporting adults with autism, if you're interested in doing research in this area, learning more, or just, you know, stopping by and getting to know us, um, you know, again, can, you know, once, once things are, are, are back to our new normal on campus, please feel free to stop by, you know, right on that, that corner of Dudley and Nickel on Douglas campus, we'll be there. Great, thanks, thanks a
0: lot. That's good, thanks Chris. All right, take care.